Hello, and welcome back to the As a Woman podcast. Today, I'm talking about progesterone and specifically low progesterone and miscarriage and what should you know about luteal phase defect or if your progesterone could be low and what should you know if you've had prior miscarriages or had a low progesterone in that context. So essentially, low progesterone and what all of that means. This podcast has been around for a while and I am so thankful that you are here. Thank you guys so much for listening, for supporting the sponsors. That's how we afford to edit and have the podcast anymore. And ultimately, thank you for asking questions, engaging, and keeping my brain full of questions and content for you. We do put out a newsletter every week, which answers some of your top fertility questions and updates fertility in the news. It's not spam. I promise the newsletter is my favorite things, recipes, but really also trying to give you a little nugget in your inbox of education and staying up to date on current events. You can sign up for the newsletter, nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. Every week, we also have For Fertility's Sake, our weekly Q&A segment at the end of each podcast. These questions are asked on Instagram on Monday at nataliecrawfordmd. Some of the questions will be answered right there on Instagram. Some of them will be answered in the newsletter and some of them here in the podcast as well. Every so often, we will do an episode that is all questions. These are some of my favorite. And you can call and leave a voicemail. The voicemail number is 657-229-3672. Again, it is 657-229-3672. Leave a voicemail. Ask your question. Those are my favorite to answer. It can be anonymous. You don't have to say who you are. But I love connecting with all of you in that way and really... And really, throughout the years, since I have been putting out educational content, I am constantly surprised at just how much not only we aren't taught about our bodies, obviously, I know that, I had to go through medical school and training to learn all of this, but how much noise is on the internet telling you the opposite of the truth, right? So it's not just a lack of knowledge, it's actually trying to sort through what is accurate and what is not. And I'm honored to have your trust and to have you here. This is something I'm extremely passionate about. And so let's go ahead and dive in to talking about progesterone, which is all a part about understanding your body, your period, and natural fertility. Normal disclaimers. A lot of what I'm going to talk about is the presumption of a normal cycle. Remember that your period is a vital sign. And if you are using contraception, that is hormonally active, such as an IUD, a shot, a ring, a patch, an implant, a pill, regardless of if it's a combined birth control pill or a progesterone-only pill, all of these things interfere with your body's hormones. That is not necessarily bad. There are times and places when we even do that for people who are trying to get pregnant, That can be a very effective method of contraception. It can help treat a variety of hormonal or medical issues. However, we now do not have your period as a vital sign. So if you are listening and you say, oh, none of this applies to me, and you're on the pill and then you stop it, it's not that the pill causes your period to change. Let's just refresh. The pill is controlling things. 
When the pill is gone, now your brain and your ovaries have to control it. So yes, a thousand percent hormonal contraception can mask your own hormones because your hormones aren't doing anything. The contraception is. So when you come off of it, the truth will start to be revealed. And this is why I recommend people stop hormonal contraception about three months before they're ready to really get pregnant. And of course you want to use backup barrier methods, but stopping contraception allows you then to know how is your period? Is it normal? Is everything okay? And seek an evaluation if things are not. All right. So we're going to dive into progesterone. And if we're going to talk about progesterone, we've got to talk about your period. So let's just talk through the menstrual cycle, not just your period, but the whole cycle and these hormones very briefly, because understanding them is the key to understanding when and why your progesterone might be low. I want you to imagine your ovary. If you've been here before, this is my favorite analogy. I want you to imagine that inside your ovary is a vault where all your eggs are kept. When you are born, that vault is full. Every single month, eggs come out of the vault. Those eggs either ovulate or die. Nothing stops or halts this process. And when you are out of eggs, you're in menopause or ovarian failure. What is happening in a singular month is a group of eggs comes out of the vault. And interestingly, the size of the group, meaning the number of eggs, correlates with how many eggs you have remaining. So the more eggs you have, the more come out. The fewer eggs you have, fewer come out. Each egg grows inside a follicle. So an egg is microscopic, but you can see small fluid-filled structures called follicles on ultrasound. These follicles are well-named. So one egg inside one follicle, this is pretty interchangeable egg and follicle. The brain sends out follicle-stimulating hormone. Actually, when you're on your period, when you are bleeding, this process is starting. So your body is sending out follicle-stimulating hormone from the pituitary gland in the brain, an extremely well-named hormone that works to stimulate a follicle to grow. Now, as this follicle is growing, the ovary is making estrogen. So I want you to think about the ovary as something dynamic that makes different hormones based on different signals. So when the brain is signaling FSH, follicle grows, estrogen is made. Estrogen increases as that egg becomes more mature. And the brain really has no idea what is happening inside the ovary, meaning it doesn't see it. It doesn't see the follicle growing. It doesn't know that is happening. It can only hear the hormone signals. So it hears estrogen increasing. And that high estrogen is the stimulus for ovulation. So when you have estrogen that is high for a prolonged period of time, so it's very specific, 200 picograms for 50 hours, the brain then says, hey, we've had enough estrogen for enough time that this must mean there's a mature egg. And now we are going to send out an LH surge for ovulation. So we see a shift in the cycle, and this is really the shift from the follicular to the luteal phase. So the first half of the cycle from the time you start bleeding until you ovulate is the time when a follicle is growing. That is the follicular phase. FSH is the primary brain hormone. Estrogen is the primary ovarian hormone. In this time period, that estrogen is making you feel good, giving you energy, helping you concentrate, and growing the lining of the uterus. 
when that estrogen is peaking and the body is sending out that LH surge, this is the first time we really see LH in the cycle in significant amounts. And now we are seeing our very peak estrogen. So this is the ovulatory phase where you're going to have your type 4 cervical mucus that's sticky and egg white, where your libido is going to be the highest, and where you ultimately have the chance to conceive during this ovulatory period if you are wanting to. All right, and now we see a transition to the luteal phase. Follicular growing a follicle, FSH is the primary hormone, luteal. This is the second half of the cycle. This is the time period where implantation is going to happen. What is happening in this part of the cycle is that now LH, that luteinizing hormone, becomes the driving pituitary gland hormone. Luteal phase, luteinizing hormone. This is because that follicle, when it released the egg for ovulation, it ruptured. It ruptured, the egg came out, it reforms into the corpus luteum. So the follicle is a cyst. It's a functional cyst, normal to have a cyst in the follicular phase. It is growing your egg. After ovulation, you have another type of cyst. It was the exact same thing, but now it has reformed and become the corpus luteum. And structurally, it is different and it looks different and it has a different function. As a follicular cyst, has follicular fluid, it is very simple in appearance. As a corpus luteum, it is what we call homogenous. It's more fatty and has a very different purpose because now it's making progesterone. So there's a lot of blood that's going to it because that process is different than making estrogen. So this corpus luteum is what makes progesterone. And this is a key and a crucial piece to implantation. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% 
and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. And we know that progesterone opens and closes that implantation window. So it's not just, do you have enough of it, but really, when did you start seeing it? And I'm going to intersect my entire, here's your menstrual cycle situation to say this. This is where I see a lot of non-medical trained people who practice medicine in women's health and they practice fertility without being a fertility doctor or an OBGYN, get it all wrong. And they give people herbs or hormones or progesterone at the wrong time. And they check some blood work and they say your progesterone is low without understanding what I'm about to tell you. And they will give you progesterone. And progesterone, when it begins, is so important to where that egg is, when it can be fertilized, because that opens and closes the implantation window. And it is heartbreaking to see people who were given progesterone by a non-fertility doctor, a non-OBGYN, and they've been trying to get pregnant and that person knew it, but didn't understand the physiology of the body enough to know that actually giving you progesterone at that time period is birth control. Be very careful if somebody is just giving you progesterone based off of blood results. If you're not actively pregnant at this moment and they are trying to interpret your cycle because it's not something that is natural to have progesterone at the wrong time. And it's not something that's net neutral or positive. It can actually be harmful. So what is happening is after that LH surge, it surges one big time. That causes ovulation. Then the corpus luteum forms. And then the corpus luteum makes progesterone at the direction of LH from the pituitary gland. So LH is actually pulsing throughout the entire luteal phase. And that pulse causes a progesterone pulse. So progesterone from the corpus luteum is going to vary at any given moment. And it can be as low as three nanograms, as high as 40. That's a huge spread. When you haven't ovulated, it's essentially zero, 0.2, 0.5. When you're starting to get there, that progesterone is starting to rise, we see it get higher, but three confirms ovulation. So any time in the luteal phase, meaning from when you ovulate until when your next period begins or, or you have a positive pregnancy test, any time in that luteal phase, your progesterone is going to be rising and falling. And so if somebody brings you in for a mid-luteal progesterone to see if you have enough progesterone or to see if you have luteal phase defect, they don't know what they're doing or you don't understand what they're doing. Because the only reason, one singular reason to check progesterone 
in the midluteal phase, defined as approximately one week after when you think ovulation occurred, is to see if it is three or higher and to confirm you ovulated. So if you have regular periods that are perfectly regular and you get positive ovulation tests or a temp rise or cervical mucus, that progesterone is not helping. I already know you ovulate because there's no way you have these perfectly regular periods without ovulating. And there's no way that you're getting all these ovulatory signs, cervical mucus, temp rise, and an OPK without ovulating. So why am I checking a mid-luteal progesterone if your history confirms you are ovulating? It's a question. Now, if you have irregular periods, that's sometimes a reason. And you think you got a positive, but you don't know if whether you're trusting it. Check a progesterone. Or if you are trying to gauge the response to ovulation induction medications, you give somebody something who doesn't ovulate, now they're taking letrozole or clomid, and you want to see if they did in fact ovulate. That is the number one reason for a midluteal progesterone. Or if you're like me and you're a fertility doctor and you like to start treatment in the midluteal phase, I have to define it. So then I check progesterone. But checking it to see if you have enough, that's not a thing. And let me go into that. And what I mean here is you actually can have not enough progesterone. That is real. And you can have a luteal phase defect. And having low progesterone can impact your ability to carry a pregnancy. So progesterone, as we said, very, very important. However, a blood draw in the luteal phase isn't going to get it done. And that's because it does range, like we're talking about. And the reason why people get so confused is because there is data from pregnancies that shows that a low progesterone is more associated with a lower likelihood of a pregnancy making it to a live birth. And this actually makes sense when you understand it. So we're going to have a branch point here based on if you get pregnant or if you don't. So let's walk the path of not getting pregnant first. If you don't get pregnant, what is going to happen is that corpus luteum can only live for about 12 to 14 days. It cannot live longer than that. So it runs out of juice. It doesn't matter what the brain keeps giving it. It is toast. It collapses. Progesterone drops. This is now the signal that you are not pregnant. And so that drop in progesterone tells your body time to bleed. It's not just that there's low progesterone, it's the drop. So now your body says, this ovulation didn't work, we didn't have a baby, time to have a period, and you start bleeding. And the process starts over again. FSH is going to recruit a new batch of eggs while you are bleeding or shedding that lining. Estrogen is going to be made. That estrogen grows the lining, so you stop bleeding. When it's peak, you're going to ovulate from an LH surge. LH is then going to pulse up and down, causing progesterone to pulse up and down throughout the entire luteal phase. Process is repeating itself. All right, so now you get pregnant. So the other scenario, things are different now. So the moment a pregnancy comes and starts to implant, the pregnancy starts to make HCG. Now that's the pregnancy test hormone that you check when you check a pregnancy test. That HCG actually has a chemical structure very similar to LH. And so it rescues or stimulates the corpus luteum. However, it is not made in pulses. So when we were talking about LH, progesterone is secreted in pulses because LH is secreted in pulses. Now 
that is shifting the moment a pregnancy occurs. So you're going from up and down progesterone levels to suddenly HCG is not impulses and it is continuous. And not only is it continuous, but it rises. So a normal HCG, a normally advancing and growing pregnancy is going to approximately double every 48 hours. So you can just imagine what that looks like if you're graphing that HCG level. It is exponentially going up. Therefore, the thing that is stimulating that corpus luteum to make progesterone is increasing in intensity, right? The light switch is not going on and off anymore. Now it is just turning itself all the way up like it was on a dimmer. So you are seeing this corpus luteum start to pound out more progesterone. We have already implanted, y'all, like we're already implanting right now. So the progesterone that controls implantation was made by the corpus luteum as controlled from LH from the brain. Boom. These progesterone levels as they pertain to pregnancy are still very important, but they're now very different. So when you take a study that says somebody who has a pregnancy and has a positive pregnancy test, that a different progesterone level can correlate with the relative success or viability of the pregnancy, that's because they're checking at this moment and that makes sense. A pregnancy that is not doing well will not make HCG at the same pace and therefore does not stimulate the corpus luteum to make as much progesterone. This is how our body rolls with the checks and balances because humans cannot be pregnant that many times in their lifetime, usually, Without things going wrong, pregnancy is dangerous and not health neutral. So most humans cannot have a large number of children. Therefore, your body is so protective over what is allowed to keep growing. When something's not growing right, it doesn't stimulate enough progesterone. There's not enough progesterone to keep going. You start to bleed. You have a miscarriage. In the same breath, if you do not have progesterone, the pregnancy cannot survive. So a study I've talked about before, which is super old, like my fellowship mentors did this study back when they were fellows. So in a monkey study, not a human study, where you had pregnancies and you took out the corpus luteum after a pregnancy has been established, those pregnancies would miscarry. So you just take out the ovary pregnancy miscarries if you do not replace progesterone. So this is telling us that progesterone is extremely important for both implantation and for an ongoing pregnancy. Now, once that pregnancy, again, is implanting and HCG is being stimulated and being stimulated constantly, we do anticipate progesterone is rising. And numbers between 15 to 20 and greater are what we see have the best outcome with a viable pregnancy. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. Now, when you have a progesterone level that's lower than that, it doesn't mean the pregnancy is not viable, but it does sometimes give clues to OBGYNs if they don't see a pregnancy on the ultrasound and you're early. Could it be an ectopic? Could it be abnormal? What is going on? And now this brings us to the point about low progesterone. So really when somebody says low progesterone, they're referring to one of three scenarios. Number one, somebody who is not ovulating. Now, wrongly, people will just draw random blood work and say your progesterone is low. And you know what? It should be if you're in the follicular phase or if you're periovulatory. It shouldn't be high unless you're in the luteal phase. If you have PCOS or hypothalamic amenorrhea or you are not ovulating, it will also be low. People will incorrectly just give you random progesterone. Now, There's time and a place, and you do need to protect the endometrium or bleed in certain circumstances. So progesterone can be extremely helpful. So the difference of me, Natalie, a human who doesn't have periods but is not trying to get pregnant, and me, Natalie, a human who is trying to get pregnant, I should receive different things because I should only be getting progesterone after I ovulate in the context of anovulation. And if I'm not ovulating and that is why my progesterone is low, progesterone is not going to do stink to help me get pregnant. It will prevent me from getting pregnant. And what I actually need is ovulation induction, meaning I need to have medication to make me ovulate. I need Clomid or Femara or FSH or an FSH-LH combo. I need something to get the egg to grow because the reason why there's no progesterone is because I am not ovulating, number one. Number two, what people should mean and they do not is they mean, oh, you have low implantation levels, low luteal progesterone levels. Remember, all that that should be telling us is did you ovulate or not. So should go back to number one. But people will check a blood level and then tell somebody they have luteal phase deficiency. Again, that's not accurate. Luteal phase deficiency is a thing. So what is it? I view this as a stage on the spectrum of ovulation dysfunction. If we imagine you progress from a normal periods to having periods where the luteal phase is short, but they're still coming, they're still regular, then going to spacing them out, coming at longer intervals, then true irregularity, and then true absence or amenorrhea. And if we imagine you progress through these as your anovulation gets worse or gets better. So a luteal phase defect is the first stage of ovulatory dysfunction. This is because the problem is with ovulation, friends. If you do not ovulate a very good follicle, you don't have a substance good enough to make progesterone, right? If you build a house on a foundation of sand versus you build a house on a foundation of concrete, they're different things. So the root of the problem is about the ovulation. So if you have luteal phase defect, it's a spectrum of ovulation disorder. You didn't ovulate good enough. And because you didn't ovulate good enough, that is why that corpus luteum doesn't have the integrity to either make enough progesterone But really, but really it's not that. It's to last as long as it needs to. Because really, luteal phase issues, 
It's when your progesterone doesn't last as long because clinically it's defined as a short luteal phase. So really something that's 11 days or less from ovulation to the next period or bleeding and spotting throughout the luteal phase, telling us that there's some instability inside the lining. And most of the time that bleeding and spotting is the days leading up to the period, not periovulatory. So a day of spotting, sure. Should you have four? No. So that is what clinically a luteal phase defect is, bleeding or short luteal phase. And the root of this problem is not a progesterone deficiency. It's the ovulation disorder. It's on the spectrum of ovulatory disorders. You're not ovulating well enough. Maybe it's thyroid or prolactin. You know, prolactin abnormalities are some of the top causes of having short luteal phase. Because why? Is that impacting the ovary? No. Both of these hormones impact the pituitary gland. Prolactin secretion happens right next to where FSH is secreted. So if you're secreting extra prolactin, you can't secrete enough FSH. Therefore, you get ovulation disorder. So you treat this by making somebody ovulate. Do we often come in and give luteal progesterone? Sure, because in people, it is rather cheap and easy if you know what you do and you know when to start it. I like to start it three days after ovulation at the earliest. People can start it at different time periods. But knowing when to start it and making sure you're not starting it too early because that would open the implantation window too soon. So when most of the time people are talking about low progesterone, they either are drawing labs in the wrong phase of the cycle, or they're really referring to an ovulation disorder. A luteal phase defect is a form of ovulation disorder not diagnosed with a progesterone. Another scenario where people talk about having low progesterone is in the context of pregnancy, different ball game, right? We've already established that a bad pregnancy, a pregnancy that doesn't have the competency, genetically abnormal embryos, they communicate to your body abnormally, therefore you don't have enough progesterone, and that is the way that we're communicating this is not going to go places, and therefore you miscarry. But can low progesterone cause a miscarriage? Yes. And did I already say progesterone is cheap and easy? Also yes. There are a subset of people who probably are bridging this gap, meaning Studies are showing that replacing progesterone the moment you get a positive pregnancy test and somebody's had recurrent pregnancy loss really isn't making a difference. That's not changing the outcome. It's not hurting the outcome. And if you catch somebody at that moment, you don't have anything else to do, it's not wrong. Your progesterone's low. Just in case there's something intrinsically wrong with your corpus luteum, let me give you some progesterone. I do not fault that at all. It might not work. It doesn't mean low progesterone cause the problem. It means your doctor is trying to do everything they can. But if you start progesterone after ovulation in these people who have had pregnancy loss before and you start it in the luteal phase, that is where we see the best improvements in our pregnancy rates for people with recurrent pregnancy loss. So I do think there's a group of people who have an ovulatory disorder that prohibits their corpus luteum from functioning as well as it should, therefore supplementing it with extra progesterone in the implantation window starting in the luteal phase can improve your pregnancy rates in people who have miscarried before. So I think the distinguishing between these are important. Again, you roll into your doctor, you're pregnant, your progesterone is low, they want to give you progesterone, 
a low progesterone is not causing you to miscarry at that time. Like the damage is done if it's done. They're just trying to do what they can. So I think understanding that is important. Getting to the root of do you have an ovulatory disorder? What do your periods look like? What is your AMH? Do you have a higher or low follicle count? Because at both ends of the extremes, our brain does different things with FSH. So getting to the basis of what could potentially cause somebody to have an ovulatory issue. And we know that very low progesterones with a positive pregnancy test, we do see that in the setting of ectopic pregnancy, for example. And so it does put you on a different pathway than somebody whose pregnancy is looking normal, if I put that in quotes, when it comes to progesterone. The third group we talk about low progesterone is typically what we think of when we think about doing fertility treatments. So what I wanna say here is that when you're doing fertility treatments, we often give you progesterone and we're doing different things and I'll just break it down into these two groups and that will be what we say about this. We are either supplementing you or we are replacing you. In either scenario, it is important, but we can do different things. If I'm supplementing you, I'm adding additional to what you have. So for example, if you're ovulating, you have a follicle, it ovulated, you have a corpus luteum, it makes progesterone. I'm now giving you bonus progesterone so that you can get to a higher level. Most people don't really check progesterone levels when you're supplementing because that corpus luteum is going to make it at intervals. So we're not chasing random progesterones. On the other hand, if you have no corpus luteum, you're not ovulating. This is a controlled embryo transfer cycle. I am now replacing all the progesterone and all the progesterone your body is going to get is going to come from what I am giving you. This is why we tend to give people progesterone in oil, which is that injectable progesterone and why we tend to check levels with fertility treatments because we want to get that progesterone, make sure that we really are giving you enough to support the pregnancy. The other thing is that people who do IVF or do fertility treatments or who have had prior miscarriages and are now on progesterone are often so hesitant to get off of it. And I I get it, y'all. You know I've been in the recurrent miscarriage camp and it's terrible. And I understand the questioning and the fear. That being said, a placenta has so many jobs that it must do and making progesterone is but one of them. At some point, we gotta trust the placenta to do everything that it can do. So you are going to wean off of the progesterone. Most places it's by 10 weeks. Doing progesterone longer is not going to help you. I swear, if it would, I would just do it. I don't I don't care if you take progesterone shots for four extra weeks, 100%, I would do it if it made a difference. But that is a scary thing, but you're going to come off the progesterone because that is something that we have to allow the placenta to take over and the placenta will. So that corpus luteum after ovulation, if you get pregnant, is now being stimulated by that pregnancy and it is functional until the placenta fully takes over, which is around nine weeks of pregnancy. Remember when you get a positive pregnancy test, you're about four weeks pregnant. So in that context, that corpus luteum is really working for a total of about six weeks or more, six to seven weeks. It is what is responsible for the sole production of progesterone. So getting to the root of that is very important. 
In the same breath, when people go down these pathways of do this to increase your progesterone or this natural thing will help your progesterone, the truth is here, all of these things are about making your body ovulate better because that's what makes more progesterone. And so trying to decrease your stress, trying to diminish any burden on your body, please don't go taking random supplements. I see people taking things all the time under the context of it will help their progesterone. Progesterone will help your progesterone if you need progesterone or ovulation induction medication will help your progesterone if that is the reason why your progesterone is low. And if you have a current pregnancy loss and you're getting an evaluation and everything is turning up normal and you have a doctor who wants to put you on progesterone and they say, with your next pregnancy, I'll put you on progesterone, please say, if I track my cycles, could we start the progesterone in my luteal phase? Okay. And hopefully that is what we are starting to see more and more people do as evidence is supporting that that's probably the most crucial time for that progesterone exposure in a subgroup of people with recurrent pregnancy loss. All right. Well, that's all I have to say about progesterone. Y'all know I love the natural cycle. I could go on and on about it. And I did all of my fellowship research on the luteal phase. If you can't tell, I nerd out on the ovaries and how they work. If you have questions, would love to do a Q&A episode about progesterone and hormones. You're going to see a question box coming up on Instagram soon. Look on Instagram, Natalie Crawford, MD. We have our regular questions on Mondays, but you are also going to be seeing some specific hormone-related questions coming up because I want to do a full episode here and an episode on YouTube about that. I do have the YouTube channel, y'all. Quicker more succinct tidbits of information and you get to see my face and some pictures, which some of these topics, I think graphics really do help. So check out the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford, MD. If you have not checked it out, the podcast is also going over to YouTube. So if YouTube is your preferred medium, feel free to check that out as a woman podcast over on YouTube. I'm going to answer a few of your fertility questions for fertility sake. Again, you can ask these Mondays, on Instagram at Natalie Crawford, MD. I just had a frozen embryo transfer. Is it normal to have no symptoms for over a week? It actually can be. Some people do not feel anything different when they are on progesterone or on hormones or when they get pregnant or have implantation. Other people can tell the moment they get pregnant. I would not read anything into this and I would just take your meds wait out the time, and try to stay optimistic. Postpartum fertility and returning my cycle. What should I expect and when should I be concerned? This is really interesting. After you have a baby, your body is going to take a while to regulate, and some of it does depend on just number one, uterine healing, number two, change in your caloric needs, weight loss, and number three, are you breastfeeding or not? So if you're breastfeeding, your body is making prolactin. As we talked about earlier, prolactin does cause you not to ovulate, especially at high levels. So that's one of the reasons why we see lactational amenorrhea or no ovulation, no periods when you're breastfeeding. As you stop breastfeeding or as your baby starts taking in solid foods, typically around six months, then that prolactin level starts to drop and we see people with their periods come back. And some people's prolactin is never enough to suppress their cycle. So everybody's different. So number one, I do not expect a normal cycle until you are done breastfeeding. If you breastfeed at all, there is some prolactin, as we already said, can cause 
no ovulation or abnormal ovulation or a luteal phase issue. So I do not anticipate a normal cycle till after that is finished. If you are not breastfeeding and we don't have to worry about that, the uterus is going to take a while to heal. So I usually tell people about six months to let that uterus really get back down in the pelvis and totally heal and for your hormones to kind of get back in sync. If you're not having regular cycles by the six-month mark, something may be going on, and that might be a time to go get an evaluation or to see if you've developed anything postpartum, like a thyroid disorder. Those things do happen. Is a frozen embryo transfer more successful than a fresh, and how far apart do you suggest? Frozen embryo transfers are more successful than fresh transfers now, and that has switched over time. But now that we have genetic testing of embryos and we're doing frozen transfers of a single best embryo, we are seeing the best outcomes of IVF that we have ever seen. The other thing that's nice about a frozen cycle is we can decrease certain risks like ovarian hyperstimulation. And also we have a very different spectrum of what pregnancy outcomes look like because putting an embryo in the body in the context of having these very high estrogen levels that you see with fresh IVF cycles is not normal. And that's not when placentas normally grow. So we see babies that have very different outcomes when it comes to gestational weight and when they are born and how the placenta works, and they do better in frozen cycles than in fresh. When you talk about how far apart do I suggest, I presume you mean from baby to baby, and at our practice, we will transfer an embryo at one year from your birth month. So if you had a baby in June, then I would want to wait till the next June to put the embryo inside and then gives your body nice time to have complete healing of that uterus. Very similar question. How long after you stop breastfeeding until I can do an FET? I'll get started right away. So if you're done breastfeeding, if it's been a year from when you had your birth month, we'll do an FET. I don't want to start hormones if you're still breastfeeding. So I will usually, as soon as you're done, then we can take over. And of course, there's different FET protocols. But the short answer is if we believe your uterus has healed, then once you're done breastfeeding, let's go. Is mild adenomyosis a big threat to fertility? You know, we don't have levels of adenomyosis, like mild to severe, and adeno is really underdiagnosed. It is an infiltration of endometrial cells, essentially, into the myometrial or the muscular layer of the uterus, can cause inflammation and abnormal blood flow. We do see higher rates of infertility and pregnancy complications in people who have adenomyosis. Most of the time, though, there's typically low levels, though not impossible, but you typically don't have adenomyosis unless the uterus has been instrumented. You've had uterine surgery, you've had C-sections, something that has connected that endometrium to that myometrium. But there's definitely been people who don't fall in that category who have it. Adenomyosis can cause really bad pain. It can be hard to diagnose. Ultrasound or MRI is the best. If you think you have painful periods, this is why we want you to get an evaluation. Things like IVF with a very certain type of suppression with Lupron can help people in adenomyosis. Surgery is not always the answer. It's not a discrete lesion like a fibroid. And I have seen people with adenomyosis who've gone to surgery and just had their uterus torn apart. It looks terrible. So I still say this to say, if you have adenomyosis, would really want to talk to a fertility doctor to understand what your goals are, how old you are, and what the overall plan is for you so that you can have the highest chance of the ultimate outcome that you want. All right, friends. Well, I hope those helped. Again, you can ask questions 
every Monday on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. We will answer some questions on Instagram, some questions here on the podcast every week, and some questions in the newsletter. NatalieCrawfordMD.com slash newsletter. Thanks, friends. Hey guys, welcome to the collective. I'm Brian Halfrich, a 26-year-old bioethics PhD student and clothing brand CEO. Welcome to my podcast where we talk all things health and wellness, navigating your 20s, and becoming the best version of yourself. So sit down, play that episode, and join the collective.